if you want to learn a little bit more about the risks of LASIK, watch that. Anyone who watched that program and still gets LASIK is, is my mind is crazy. And this cornea neuralgia is like needles poking in your eye all day long. It's extreme, extreme pain. There was a, a meteorologist in Detroit where eight weeks after LASIK, she took her own life. There was a guy in Ontario. He was a millionaire, actually. The thing is, it doesn't matter how much money you have because you can't reverse these procedures. He was under so much pain that he ended up taking his life. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, remediescounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. When I first heard of laser eye surgery many moons ago, my first reaction was one of suspicion. On the face of it, laser eye surgery sounded very dangerous. But after years of exposure to laser eye surgery advertisements, it squirmed its way onto my to-do list for consideration so that I didn't have to bother with contact lenses. But after interviewing Troy about his experience having his vision permanently damaged and hearing what he's learned about laser eye research and the ophthalmologist industry, I will never, ever get laser eye surgery. The risks are just too great, especially the suicide-inducing pain of corneal neuralgia, where it feels like pins are constantly being poked into your eye. If you're thinking about getting laser eye surgery, listen to what happened to Troy, and then take that into account in making your decision. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error or living with chronic complex illness, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. 
Now, here's my interview with Troy and a note of caution that some folks may be triggered by Troy's experiences with the healthcare system. Thanks, Troy. I begin all of my interviews with the same question. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up in Saskatchewan on a farm, moved to a small city. And uh, my childhood was good. Grew up in a, grew up, you know, like any other normal family, I guess, which doesn't mean much because of what is normal. But uh, certainly, um, you know, I had, a, I had a great childhood, I think, you know, good parents. She treated us well, weren't perfect, but uh, instilled a lot of good morals. And I think uh, ultimately that's really what's important. You know, live a good, honest life. And that's what they always taught us. And, you know, I always uh, still still believe that to this day. So, yeah. And uh, how was your health as a child? Health was very good. I did have sort of seemed to get a lot of flus and stuff like that as a young child. But later in life, excellent health, you know, up until you know, recently. Uh, and then after high school, what did you do with your life? Well, I went to university, I got a degree and, uh, and um, yeah, went into the workforce and, and, you know, became part of the, uh, part of the, part of the, the rat race, I guess, you know, ultimately like everybody else, but yeah, I know how to, had a good, had a pretty good career and, um, you know, so made a lot of good friends, a lot of good connections. So, um, but yeah, no, it was been, it was, it's been good. It was, I'm not trying to tell you I'm a, I'm a millionaire or anything like that, but you know, I'd say I had a, had a healthy work life. And so it was always, there's always a mixture of good and bad that happens in everybody's work life. I think, you know, and so certainly I had my, my share of bad bosses and those kinds of things, but you know, the amount of people that I've met and good connections I've made have been well worth it. So. And then today we're going to talk about your experience with the healthcare system. So what year did uh, this all start to unfold? In early 2019. And so tell us what happened. Sure. And if it's okay, I, I kind of wanted to couple, cover off a couple of topics. Basically, I'll cover off kind of what happened to me, which relates to the, the topic of laser eye procedures. Um, including my procedure, uh, which was called retinopathy. And then I'll, if we have time at the end, I'd like to also talk about the Canadian Medical Protective Association or the CMPA. And I, I think the two are very, very related because, um, and we'll get into that in a bit. And so I'll, I'll start with, my, with the first part of it, which is laser eye procedures. So, um, of course, this is all my opinion, and you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say I'm an expert in the area, but I've certainly done a lot of research. I'm well-versed in what's happened to me, and I've researched as much as possible. Um, so all the stuff I say is based on as, as much um, you know, research as possible. So my, my first point I really want to talk about is that lasers are dangerous weapons. And the Geneva Convention like has banned the use of lasers in warfare and you kind of might ask yourself why is that relevant to what i'm talking about laser eye procedures in canada with lasers that are approved by health canada used by doctors with tons of tons of you know educational experience how could that be how could that really be important what how do those two match well 
Let me read an excerpt out of my legal disclaimer that I signed before my procedure. I understand possible side effects of the laser eye procedure include bleeding, retinal detachment, pain, visual disturbance, vision loss or blindness, and many other potential unforeseen events. So the point is, is that lasers are very, they can create a lot of harm. They're very, they're dangerous, right? I mean, that's why pilots are always worried about a laser being pointed into a cockpit. It can blind them, right? So they're dangerous to start off with. Um, and I think, you know, the thing is too, we really take our eyes for granted. I mean, we have a lot of, most of the information we get into our, our brains comes from our eyes. Ninety, you know, they say, you know, nonverbal uh, communication is 95% of what we, what we see. That's all happening largely through our eyes, right? So if a laser eye procedure destroys your eyes or wrecks your eyes or creates a lot of problems with your eyes, it has a huge impact on your life. And, and the thing is, a laser, a laser, laser damage to the eye is what I call an unnatural injury. It's not like a rock came, got kicked up into your eye or a bug hit your eye. It's an unnatural injury. So as a result, the body doesn't know how to handle that, how to heal from that. It's not something that over the thousands of years of evolution, our human bodies have figured out a way to heal. So for example, the retina never heals, never had a reason to heal. Because it never really had a reason, never had, never had to deal with laser damages before, right? So the retina just never heals. It never, it doesn't have that regenerative capacity. Um, so there's a few different kinds of lasers that are used in these medical laser eye procedures. There, there's one called light YAG lasers. There's eczema later, lasers that are used in refractive surgeries like LASIK and PRK, cataract surgeries, you know, that almost all seniors seem to go down the path of cataract surgery. But in fact, it is a laser eye procedure similar to LASIK. A lot of people don't know that, right? Um, then there's these green lasers used for what is called retinopathy, which is what happened to me. So my story is, and first, before you understand that a bit, you have to understand what the retina does. So the retina is inside of your eye, it's on the back of your eye. It kind of acts like a satellite dish that sits in the back of your eye and focuses and collects light information. It's like a very thin membrane. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it, it sort of focuses the light coming into your eye. So as you age, this is the theory that ophthalmologists that I've read about is as you age, the retina can sometimes slightly pull away from the back of your eye. And as it, as it pulls away from the back of your eye, what will happen is sometimes you'll get tears or perforations in the retina, on, usually on the very outer extremities of your retina, the back of your eye. So if there's a tear or if the retina is sort of pulling away from the back of the eye, how does that manifest in the field of vision? What's the experience of someone? Oh yeah, so what, what will happen a lot of times they talk about is flashers, like, like a little flash of light that's not caused by anything. It's, so you'll see a flash of light, and in fact that light isn't really there, and you, you get a little freaked out about it, and you go in and you take a look and you see that'll happen. And it actually happens to a lot of people as they age. And part of it, the reason is, my understanding is because the gel inside of your eye starts to kind of shrink a little bit, loses a little bit of its volume, kind of coagulates a bit. And sometimes it'll pull away right from the back of your eye and that tugging 
mold or basically tugging processes where the tear happens. And that's where sometimes you'll have light flashes. Now I did not have any flashers. What happened to me was I had what was called a floater in your eye. And you know, sometimes people will see like, looks like a little hair floating around in your eye, moves around and you move your eye. And that's what happened to me. And that's what got me going to an ophthalmologist in the first place which I wish I would have never done because <laughs> I, that's what started my process and got me into seeing a retinal specialist in the very first place, right? But I never had any of those kind of warning signs of a retinal detachment. That, that's a warning sign of a retinal detachment of flashes. I didn't have any of that, but a lot of people do, so. So you had a floater just in one of your eyes? Yeah, just in my right eye, actually, um, and, uh, so I went in, well, that was actually back in 2017. And I went in and we talked a bit about what, what it was. And he suggested that I do a small laser uh, procedure. And so, so what they do is, retinopathy, what it does is that where this little tiny tear is, what they'll do is they'll take this laser and shoot around it, say 10 or 15 laser strikes. And the idea, the, the theory behind it is that by doing that, it sort of seals the, the tear so they can't grow. You don't want it to grow because you, you can get fluid from your eye going into that hole, get in behind your retina, and it can peel away from your back of your eye, and it's called retinal detachment. So this is the theory behind retinal pathy. That's why they recommend doing it. So I had that done in my right eye in 2017, but I had absolutely no issues. So then I start going to once you get into the system though, you know, the thing is they go, well, come see me in another year. So I did, I came back 2018, had no problems. Go back again another year. I'm expecting nothing to be said because I'm having no eye issues. It's a routine annual exam. But this time he tells me he sees a small tear in my other eye now. Um, well, that's brought me into the, into the system, I'd call it. Uh, so when you had the 2017 procedure, you still had the floater. It was just the procedure was to prevent it from getting any bigger. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is the floater. What he what he said to me at the time was that the floater was caused by that pulling away process, and then sometimes when it pulls away, a little little piece of the retina comes dislodged, and it'll and it'll float around inside of that gel inside of your eye. And so it sort of, it can also be a bit of an indicator in, in some instances of a retinal detachment starting to happen, right? That aging process starting to happen. So we sort of keep an eye on it, right? Um, is sort of the idea. But I think most people get floaters. Um, and I think too, most people likely will have some retinal tear of some sort at some point in their life. The question is whether they want to do the procedure or not, right? Okay, so just so I'm clear, so even after the 2017 procedure, you still had a floater? I still had a floater. The, the laser won't, won't there actually, so this other YAG laser I talked about, there's another laser where it'll go in and it'll shoot and kind of try to explode those floaters. Ah, okay. That's another procedure that some people, um, but to me it's even more dangerous because then the laser is shooting towards your, possibly towards your, optical nerve um, it's just and 
and I think the risks there in my mind are even possibly even greater. Um, you know, you, it's just, you just, you, again, you just don't, you got to realize that if you're a pilot and you get a laser going into your eye, it could blind you. If a doctor has a slight miss, even, even just an error, or you move your eyes because you're awake during the procedure. There's no, you're not going to put asleep. You're awake. You're sitting across the table from the, the doctor. All there is is a laser machine in between the two of you and he's saying, you know, look up, look right, look down, look left. If you moved your eye in the wrong direction when the laser was activated, you could also cause yourself problems, right? If you got scared and moved, it's wow. uh, it's very, very dangerous. That's what I mean. It's very dangerous. So you need to really, really think about, you know, and I didn't really want to do this. So then in 2019, when I had the second care, I didn't want to do it again. But I get convinced to do it in the office, you know, and it's the same guy doing the, the procedure, right? So I, I think, well, it's not going to be a, you know, it's not going to be an issue. Uh, I did it once, and, you know, it's not a pleasant procedure. It hurts actually, it is painful. Um, yeah, it is painful, but it's a, uh, it's my, with my right, my right eye kind of didn't, didn't skip a beat to be honest with you, but my left eye had a lot of severe problems. So, um, so I didn't want to talk about one thing too. I just want to mention to this, that we talked about the reason behind retinopathy is that the whole idea is to prevent a retinal detachment. That's why you do this, right? You, you sew around the, the sort of like laser around the tear so the fluid doesn't get in, so you don't get a retinal detachment. But let me remind you what one of the risks were that I signed off on. One of the risks, <laughs> In, in, of the procedure is retinal detachment. So, in fact, so it when you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. So one of the, you know, I, of course you're in, you feel like you're under a lot of pressure as you're signing this stuff. And you're not really asking all the questions that you should ask, probably because you trust the, the the profession, you trust the person that's on, you know, doing the procedure. You believe that they've done it a million times, and so you think, well, they, they know what they're talking about, right? But you got to sit back and ask yourself. I ask myself now, I'm like, why would I sign a legal waiver and not ask about it? They're trying to prevent a retinal detachment, but, this, but in fact, the procedure itself can create a retinal detachment. Doesn't really make sense to me, right? Uh, it just, it is what it is, right? So, um, and just a question about the consent form. How uh, technical and long and detailed was it? Like how accessible was it for the lay person to actually be able to sort of read it and confidently feel like they were informed? Well, you know, it's about a page long. Um, Pretty long. And, yeah, and it, well, the bottom of the page too shows kind of two two circles and the doctor will will indicate where he did his laser procedure in there right so sort of like generally speaking you know where he's doing his uh um procedure and so and this is another part of the problem too is that it says oh i've been fully informed i've asked all the questions i want to ask so it's kind of disheartening right when you look at it after the fact you go wow, why did i sign that i wonder why i signed it why didn't i ask more questions because like i said the retina doesn't heal and so once you do the laser procedure it's done there's no undoing it ever. There's no procedure that can undo a laser procedure. There's no medicine, there's no drops, there's no magic solution to it. 
the only possible thing maybe stem cell treatment but um you know i'm not that's still in the very early stages of development right so um and and, and i'll get into this a little bit later but one of the things that happened with my my left eye in 2019 is that so i'm sitting there and and the doctor says i see a little terror it shouldn't be a problem but um i'd recommend you get it lasered just to be safe so i go okay well when i after the fact when i start having the problems i realized that he lasered four areas not one so, so, so back up a wee bit so you have the uh second treatment procedure yeah. when did you know that something wasn't right within a, a day or two i started having really bad uh uh yeah visual disturbances like i'd have and i'll talk well basically i'll tell you what i had i i had where, where it started was well day or so after two days after in the morning i woke up and i moved my uh it was dark in my room and i moved my eyes right to left and i saw like a firework explosion go off and that scared me i was like what is going on here right and so uh, uh i knew something was wrong right then and then within a couple of days as well i've also started getting um what are called white flickering lights so if I'm in the sunlight, I don't see it, but when I move inside, the cones or rods or whatever it is inside of my eye are misfiring. And I get what look like flashers, but they're not flashers, they're specific to certain areas. And over time, like as my eyes adjust to the darker room, they'll sort of slowly disappear. But so they happen every day. So they impact me every day, you know, and it's, and it's, and I also fluorescent lights set it off as well because fluorescent lights are very similar to the sun right they that's why they use fluorescence to grow plants so um so i'm getting this uh, the, these effects started happening fairly shortly and so i went back you know and uh talked to the doctor and he just basically said well these are flat flashers and i and he, they might go away and i'm like well are you sure he's like yeah yeah i should go away in like a month or a few months and then he started like extending the period that it would go away well, now maybe now it'll take six months and then it was like no it might take two years every time i go back he extended the date so this thought. this you experienced these for months and months and kept going back and yeah kept going back and kept getting the story that oh it's should go away and it's a flasher like i said that natural pulling away tugging effect but it but i've realized that it's in specific spots and that's when i started wondering well even, even within the first week he recommended then that I go and take some retinal pictures in his office and pay $100. The problem is, and I'll talk about this after a bit, was that, you know, do the pictures first. Don't do them after. After the fact, it's done. Like, once the procedure is done, it's done. And, um, you know, so when you start trying to figure out what happened, <laughs> and so what's happened is because I can't look inside my own eye, the only way to do that is with a picture to see what's happening. And then even with the pictures, it took me a while to figure out what happened because there's no retinal specialist out there who'll say, well, this is what happened. <laughs> I want to explain to you what happened, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, I believe the profession itself overall, they all use lasers in one form or another to do many procedures. So they can't say, I don't want to use a laser 
or there's a problem with the laser when they themselves, they themselves use lasers for many different procedures. So it's, it's very difficult to get the clear story. So I've had to really piece together what happened to me. And what happened to me was in my left eye, he lasered four areas, but three of them were too close to the center of my eye. Well, not in the center of my eye, but in the peripheral of my eye. So if they laser outside of your peripheral, you might have some visual disturbances, but you don't see them. Like your brain doesn't interpret them because your rods or cones might be firing, but you actually don't cognizantly recognize it. But if the laser comes too close into your field of vision, then all of a sudden it damages the rods and cones, and then you start seeing these strange phenomena in your in your eyesight. And um, so yeah, and that, so that's that's one of the major problems. But a, a problem, so that's with this retinopathy uh, process, this laser process. But not, well, some of the other issues that are common to all these laser procedures, including cataracts, LASIK particularly, is dry eye problems. So as a, in the retinopathy, when the laser passes through your cornea, which is in front of your eye, which kind of, kind of moves around and focuses the light, it damages even the retinopathy laser, which is designed to kind of focus in the back of your eye. It damages the cornea as it goes through. Anytime you get damage to your cornea, what happens is your eye is like a biosphere, right? It's, like, it's just this amazing, it's this amazing little biosphere on its own that operates. In fact, like even it has its own protection so that viruses and stuff can't get in there, right? So it's got its own like biosphere that it operates in. When you mess around with the cornea at all, and in particular with LASIK, when you mess around with the cornea, it's, it loses its ability to communicate with the tear ducts and your oil glands, your myobian glands. Things just don't work properly. Then you get dry eye. And when you get a dry eye, the, they always glaze over this one. Always, oh, some people get a lot of people get dry eye, and you think, okay, so what? The guy's put a drop a drop a day, or you know, whatever. It's a major problem. It's because with without a without proper lubrication in your eye, your eye is forevermore exposed to all kinds of infections. Mm-hmm. So now my left eye is constantly. I have to really, really be careful. Always washing it, cleaning it with like, um, you know always cleaning it extra clean and it's it's really had a pretty big impact and that goes for all laser procedures including cataracts so it's a very very bad part of the uh bad bad side effect to all laser eye procedures wow i did not hear of that at all it's it's a it's probably one of it could be one of the worst um problems with any laser eye procedures dry eyes and then i'll and I, I don't know which is worse because a dry eye, what has ended up happening is that also impacts you every day. Your eye, some days it feels better than other days. Your eye will feel sore. Like when your eye is dry, you'll get headaches. Your eye will feel sore. Um, you get infections all the time. Like it just, it just goes on and on and on, right? Wow. I've also had a twitch on my eye. I think that might be due to just my mind not dealing well with the whole process and a bit of a, you know, a trauma right um so i've got this dry eye problem i've got this eye twitching problem fireworks at night if i look and i try to not move my eyes and they're very very dark anymore just i've kind of tried to kind of work around that but the one that i have a very tough time working around is this flickering white flickering lights 
And so now what I, what I realized, my dad was a welder actually, is that I have to use welding grade sunglasses outside to keep, the, keep it dark enough so that when I move inside, um, there isn't that big change in light. And so my eyes don't have that flickering effect to the same degree. It's, it's either minimized, eliminated, but I always get a little bit of it. But so I've been trying to help other people that have the same thing. And I use something that it's a, it's a number five, it's called the number five lens, which is used for welding and brazing. And it was just by me experimenting that I realized that this worked for me. It really does. It, it just, just sort of takes all that very bright, bright light out in your outside. But trying to find prescription glasses like that was tough. Luckily, I was able to do that. So how has this impacted driving at night, say? Well, you know, the funny thing is, as the sun goes down, this white flickering lights effect goes away. Um, and I was a little worried about this starburst. It's a, not a starburst. It's like firework problem. If I move my eyes at night, I was kind of worried. You know, I'm driving at night and I'm moving my eyes left and right, you know, checking the road out. It, it doesn't affect me. So that, that part doesn't really affect, it's really just like very, very, very dark. And it seems to really be um, when I'm laying down sleeping and I get up and say, you know, go to the restroom in the middle of the night or something like that. That's when I can see that in a dark room. So I kind of have to keep lights on and, you know, just to kind of, just so my eye doesn't pick up on that piece. But, but luckily, but, but now, now I'm no expert on this stuff, but I'll tell you, LASIK PRK, those people have brutal problems at night, like traffic lights, um, headlights, any lights. They're seeing these stars. They call it starburst. Like it's it's impossible for them to drive at night. Impossible. It's it's a and and you got to remember most of these, especially LASIK and PRK. It's an elective surgery. People are sold on this. Uh, you know, on this idea of throw your glasses away. You don't have to pay $300, $600. Glasses are expensive, right? They can be a thousand bucks, but you know, let's say three, $500 glasses, throw them away. You don't need them anymore. Well, guess what? Every, those drops will cost you 35 bucks a month for good drops. And that's forever. A pair of glasses can last you for years yeah. and years and years, you know? Yeah. Your eyes might change a little bit, but, you know, and you don't, your eyes don't hurt. You know, when you do, when you do anything to your eye, LASIK, it's a dang, it's extremely dangerous. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. So uh, I'm surprised to learn that the laser eye procedures cause pain. Cause yeah, they're, they're not mentioning that in the commercials that I see. Well, you know, um, yeah. So like, you know, I'll just like, I'll tell you this. So initially, you know, the reason I'm on here today, you know, we talked a bit about this is to warn people about retinopathy, right? Like retinal laser procedures. I'm like, well, they're, they're, they're causing me problems. So other people need to be warned about it. But as I tried to research about it, I realized, well, there's actually not a lot of information on my particular procedure and the risks associated with it. But then I started finding information about LASIK and PRK and all the problems people are having with that. So my scope expanded. I'm like, okay, going from retinal laser procedures to like, now I'm saying, well, the LASIK is bad, PRK is bad. There's like hundreds of thousands of people that are suffering, people that have committed suicide because they, so there's this 
there's this awful, awful thing called cornea neuralgia. Um, so when that cornea, this is with LASIK. So even though there's not a lot of information on, on retinal laser risks, there is growing mounting evidence on the, on the LASIK side. And, um, and so yeah, there's this issue called cornea neuralgia. So when they cut, actually there's a really great program on W5 called Deadly Vision. If you wanna learn a little bit more about the risks of LASIK, watch that. Anyone who watched that program and still gets LASIK is, is, is my mind is crazy because the, the risk, the, the fact that it's even a risk makes it too risky to even do. And this cornea neuralgia is like needles poking in your eye all day long. It's extreme, extreme pain. There was a, a meteorologist in Detroit uh, two or three weeks after LASIK, or eight weeks after LASIK, she took her own life. There was a guy in, in that, uh, Ontario. He was a millionaire, actually. But he, the thing is, it doesn't matter how much money you have because you can't reverse these procedures. He was under, in so much pain that he ended up taking his life. There's a young man who was a, a military uh, guy, got LASIK done because he was in the military, he didn't want to wear glasses on the field, took his own life as well because of it. You know, so this cornea neuralgia is an awful, awful risk. And, and, and it happened, the thing is too, you know, they're, they're saying it's one in 10,000, Canada says it's one in 10,000 operations. Well, there's actually 80,000 operations a year of LASIK. And so there's eight people at least per year. But I think the numbers, I mean, the problem is I don't know the numbers. And I think is nobody knows the number because there's no independent studies about cornea neuralgia. You know, but if you, again, if you watch that program, W5, Deadly Vision, it's excellent. And it really goes through a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. But it, it, people develop extreme pain from, uh, from the, and again, cataract surgery is like LASIK. It's very similar. So any of the risks associated with LASIK are also um, risks associated with cataract surgeries. And the thing is, with, with cataract surgeries, most of it is senior citizens, and they typically will get this done, and then, you know, they'll say, well, it's your eyes, you're getting old. It's your, it's your eyes, it's your fault, right? It's like, you know, so people get, uh, you know, people get, get, feel like it's their own body failing them at an older age. I just think that unless your visual acuity is, is so bad you can barely see, don't do, do, don't do cataract surgeries. That's my opinion. I just think uh, I just think that you should just really, 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 really decide. You know, if you if somebody says, "Oh, you're starting to develop cataracts," well, just let it go. It's, it's going to be okay. You know, we'll keep an eye on it. And if it gets really, really bad, you always have the option of doing it. But understand the risks, right? Um, I, I think it's a, uh, you know, and the thing is too is that you know, the thing is you got to remember is that you know all the information that we're being told about these laser procedures is coming from the profession that makes billions of dollars off these procedures. Right. Um, you know, and so, you know, I mean, listen, I know they're successful, but they're very successful. All the, most of these ophthalmologists operate out of private eye clinics. And when you drive up to a private eye clinic, it's not some old shabby building. It's often a beautiful, shiny building and i'm not trying to say they shouldn't be allowed to to be successful financially but all i'm saying is that there's a lot of money in this eye laser eye procedure business and they're making a lot of cash out of it and those are the same people that are telling you 
what the risks are. And so there's really no independent information, right? So it's, and, and you know, the, the private clinics, eye clinics, I think there's others, they, they largely operate outside of the provincial healthcare system and the regulatory system. In fact, if you go to a, you go to a hospital, you go to your GP, all that information is typically in one system. But if you go to a private eye clinic and you have a procedure done and then you're having a problem and so well, like I did, and I went to emergency and I said, I'm having this problem with this. They're like, well, why don't you go back to your private eye clinic? Well, I said, well, they don't see me. They don't provide any aftercare. They, they tout all the successes, but they don't provide any aftercare. They just continually kind of grind you down until you get really tired of it and you start and you float into the regular system. You know, so they make money off the procedure, but when you need care, you have to go back to the old public system. That is, you know, that really isn't, has no tools to help you with, right? All they can do is say, well, we can give you some counseling or take some medication to help you with your anxiety, for example, but that's about all they can do, right? I mean, they ultimately can't really help you a whole lot. And, and if you, in a hospital and you say, hey, I had this procedure done at this private eye clinic, they can't pull it up. In Alberta, anyways, they can't pull up the records. They don't see it. It's private. It's sitting in the, it's a separate. So it shows, you know, like information-wise, it's actually a separate system. So it's, you have to be really careful about, you know, who you're dealing with. Um, so like, I mean, I, I just want to say this too, is like, you know, and again, this is my opinion and people will do what they want to do. But, you know, I just really want to, I think that unless you have an emergency of some sort, you know, whatever, whatever operation that is an emergency, well, you probably need it. So you can't sit down and talk about the risks. You might be unconscious, who knows, but you know, unless it's an emergency, be very careful about any procedure, but particularly eye procedures like LASIK. It's definitely not an emergency. It's elective all the time, all day long. It's elective. Don't ever do it in my mind, you know, and even, and you know, I know like a lot of people even have had, the procedure that I've had done, let's say, yeah, but it saved my vision because it, it staved off a retinal detachment perhaps, right? You know, so they're able to shoot the laser in your eye without having to cut your eye open, for example, right? So it, it does have, like, theoretically, it does have, seem to have benefits. But again, why would you, if it's got a benefit of stopping a retinal detachment, why is that also a risk of the procedure? It doesn't make sense to me, right? But I, I want to warn people, like, I think some people are particularly at risks, risk with um, laser eye procedures, especially laser. People like military personnel, police officers, pilots, you know, senior citizens, you know, everybody. Anyone who's thinking about doing a laser eye procedure, really, really think, think twice about doing it. Um, and again, like I said, there's very, very little public information on retinopathy risks out there. You search, you will find almost nothing but as a proxy like we talked a little bit about you know you could look at other laser eye procedures like LASIK and there, there is information you know the former FDA one of the former FDA approving officials of LASIK has come out publicly stating I want to it should be banned like it should be a banned procedure not not stopped not regulated heavily banned and and he's done his own independent studies it says the complication rates are up to 30%. Whereas if you walk into a LASIK clinic, you'll, they will not, they'll tell you it's less than 1%. So there's a big disconnect there, right? 
Yeah. Um, so how can this former FDA guy find upwards of 30% yet Health Canada is saying one in 10,000? Yeah, like they're, yeah, they're, well, that's cornea neuralgia, the one in 10,000, but, okay. you know, and Health Canada isn't saying that. It's the Canadian Ophthalmology Association that is saying it's one in 10,000. They believe it's very, very rare is what they say. For the but, corneal neuralgia, but all these other risks, so cornea, there's cornea neuralgia, there's severe dry eyes, there's like vision problems, there's blindness, there's all kinds of problems that are happening associated with LASIK. And that's up, those are at least around 30% is what he's saying. So one in three people are gonna have a problem likely. And, and, I've, and I'm telling you, if you talk to a lot of people that have had LASIK done, They'll almost all tell you they have dry eyes at a minimum. And and yet, what do they do? They just manage it on their own, right? You know, but the, the problem is there's no, like, say, government agency tracking this stuff. Like, I tried to talk to CNIB about it, but they were not interested. I would think that they would and be for folks who aren't familiar with CNIB, that stands for? Canadian National Institute for the Blind. You know, and I thought, because I, I, I had a friend of mine she told me this lady she knew had LASIK done, was going blind. And so the private eye clinic said, here's a CNIB's phone number. Good luck with that. So that's why I thought that Canadian National Institute for the Blind was there to kind of support people with eye issues, with, with care and say, hey, listen, you know, this, these uh, we're getting customers that we shouldn't have to get because we've got enough customers as it is coming in from uh, regular health, eye health problems. We don't need more created through LASIK or other eye procedures, right? But they just didn't want to weigh into that, that topic because, you know, there's a lot of, it's a big industry and it's, how do you go up against it, right? You know, it's, um, it's tough to, there's a lot of money involved. And, and you see LASIK signs, LASIK procedure advertisements all over the place. I'm sure on your Facebook, it comes up constantly, you know. Um, but there, on that cornea neuralgia topic, there was, there actually is a class action lawsuit against a company in Canada. Am I allowed to say the name of the company? I don't know, maybe. It's, uh, you can search for well, it. Well, if there's a class action lawsuit, it should already be in the public records. Yeah, so LASIK MD um, is a Canadian company that operates across Canada. Um, that does LASIK procedures and there's a class action lawsuit against them with respect to cornea neurologist suffers. So there's enough people, obviously, that before they launch a class action lawsuit, um, you know, to, that are suffering from that condition. Um, but it, see, the thing is, it doesn't cover off all the other providers of LASIK. And there's many, many other mm -hmm. providers. To me, like, where I really think Health Canada should get involved is to look at the laser manufacturer going back to this square one and saying, okay, you know, who's manufacturing this stuff and those risks and therefore, okay, what are the risks? And these are the risks that have to be told to the public when they're getting this stuff done. And right? uh, the research, let's take a look at your research on this from the manufacturers. So I'm saying uh, how, how valid is the research that they're pushing out there? Well, yeah, and you know, I guess it is, you know, I guess that it's a problem ultimately in many different businesses where the research is often funded by the same company that's making the money off of it. I mean, you know, it's, 
it's a sad reality of our world, but we often get the research done by the same people that are promoting their products. So this is a problem, but, but to me, you know, like I would think Health Canada would say, you know, this is a, there's a lot of people getting LASIK done and there's a lot of problems happening. Like we need to make sure that we're keeping our country safe, right? Um, people, and, and you know, you'll hear a lot of people that swear by LASIK. They'll be like, I love LASIK. I highly recommend this doctor, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not saying there haven't been a lot of successful people that have had it done. I think one of the reasons it's successful is because unlike a retinal injury where the retina doesn't heal itself, the cornea over history, the, our human bodies have been exposed to dust, branches and rocks, you know, fights, whatever. So the cornea has a very, very high ability to heal itself. And that's why there's a lot of success. But some people, their corneas don't heal well. Maybe the operation didn't go well. The flap that they cut up and the back, maybe it doesn't fall back in the right spot. There's a wrinkle in that flap, whatever reason it might be. But this, the nerves in your, there's more, apparently there's more nerves in your cornea than anywhere, like per square inch than anywhere else in your body. So that's why when people are having these nerves are trying to regrow and they they're having a problem regrowing it's firing off the nerves causing the eye pain so this cornea neurologist sufferers are like you know they're they're living in excruciating pain but um yeah but 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 you know the the thing is where is the data like where is the research on it and and it's and it's you know there's a there's a lady who has a website lazy complications i think she has seven thousand members i mean but I think that's a tip of the iceberg. I think there's uh, probably um, millions of people that are suffering around the world from LASIK procedures. And, yeah, no doubt. And uh, so, uh, so, uh, so, anyways, I want to just talk a little, couple other things here about. So, if you if you don't believe a word I said about retinopathy, and you're convinced that it's the right thing to do, you know, it's your body, and you're you're certainly allowed to do whatever you'd like. But what I, I have some recommendations and this is what I wish somebody would have told me before I did my procedure. So I, I, I liken it to if you're fixing your car, you know, everyone's always upset about their getting ripped off going to a mechanic, right? So what do you do? You, you say, hey, he says, hey, you got a broken whatever. You go, okay, well, can you show it to me? If you're interested, which I am. Okay, sure, I can see that, that thing's broken, it's not working, yes, I, Agree that you replace that broken start or whatever it is. So you agree to what's going to get done in the scope of work, right? Now, if they go and start tinkering around and they go, oh, there's another part broken, you go, you have to approve that, right? So they call you, they get your approval, and then you say, yeah, go ahead. Or no, you know what? I want to come down and take another look at it. So my, my, my point is that, you know, you really should take a picture of your retina before you get the work done and you can take pictures of the retina, you know, and again, I think this, the profession, ophthalmology profession makes it look like it's kind of like mystical, you know, they're the only ones that can peer through these, these lenses and look inside your eyes and interpret it. Well, it's not true. They can look, you can take pictures of your retina. There's retinal, like I said, I have them done and I have them, I could show you them, but 
you can take a picture of anything. You can take a picture of your retina. All they do is they take a picture of your retina. And if they can see it, they can show it to you. If their eye can see the problem, they can pinpoint it to you and say, here's the issue here. I mean, there's other things that are hidden away that we are able to image. You have a brain tumor. You can't see it, but they can image it with an MRI, show it to you. Hey, listen, you got a brain tumor. We're going to have to go in here and take it out. Same with your heart. They can image your heart. If you have a blocked artery, they can see that. But you got a broken leg, they can x-ray that and you can see that. It's the same thing with your retina. It's not magic. It, it only takes a few minutes. Um, they all have retinal cameras. All these retinal specialists, they all have retinal cameras in their office. All you got to do is say, okay, if I have a retinal tear, show it to me. I mean, it, it, it's your right to do that. And, and it's not... It's not like the science isn't there. You're able to, you're able to see that. So it, you know, it's very important for to me, you know, to get a, a picture done. And then, one of the problems too is that you should, like I said, with the scope of a vehicle fixture, you say, okay, there's one tear there. I agree that you can laser that area, and you have an agreement on where it is. All you do is draw a circle and go, okay, over here, you're gonna you're gonna laser this one area this one spot or two or whatever it is, right? And then also on top of that, you say, okay, what how is that in my field of vision or outside of my field of vision? I have that discussion with them as well. So I'll, I'll agree to this spot, but this other one I think is too close to my field of vision. I disagree with that being done. If you do that, then you don't have a problem. It's right? curious that... Uh providing an image before the procedure as a way of explaining, you know, what the problem is, is not part of their standard operating procedure. It, you're right. It's not. And they, and they should have like this, this legal waiver form, they should have a second form that says, okay, this is the normal risks. But then on top of that, we're going into your field of vision. So you need to be aware of that. And you've been strictly warned that you will have, visual problems like white flickering lights for the rest of your life it makes sense right show it to me and it, and i'm talking about non-emergency situations like mine was mine was and mine was optional too he said well you don't have to do it but i, I recommend you do this so not only does he laser one he lasers four areas three in my field of vision and again and then what happens is two days after i'm having problems then he says go take some retinal pictures upstairs i pay a hundred dollars and then, but the, the problem is, what good are those pictures then? They're no good to me now. Now I know where the damage is done. That's all I know. Great. I'm curious. So he lasered four different spots. Does he charge per laser? Well, I don't know that. I went to the health. I asked the health to see a breakdown of the one charge because I got a summary statement um, prepared and I could see the date that the procedure was done. But I don't know whether or not there was a, a charge per area completed. I've gone to them, I haven't gotten that information back. That's a good question. But I, I don't have an answer for whether they just charge one. But you know, I mean, it's a two minute procedure and it's 500 bucks, you know, versus, versus a checkup is probably $80. Hmm. Takes probably 15 or 20 minutes. Once you have the procedure done, you can't undo it. You know, and that's where all the, anybody who's had a laser eye procedure done, it just cannot be undone. It's, it's, a, it's a sad situation, but uh, it's a reality. So 
You told us about uh, some folks who are doing the class action lawsuit against a specific company for a specific uh, type of injury. Uh, what else did you find out about how the system works for other folks who've been injured and are trying to seek justice? Because I've seen people that have gotten their retinas lasered around and around and around three or four rows. It's awful. Like thousands of the shooting lasers all over the place. And these people did not know that it was being done to them. Wow. It's if I saw if I showed you the picture, uh, guy should send me a picture. Um, it would it, almost turn your stomach. Like how much lasering he's had done on his eye. It's crazy. And he did not was not asked if he could. They would do do that. They did it. But see, he had a retinal detachment. So they because one of the other things that that laser does is it kind of tacks your retina to the back of your eyeball, kind of glues it on like what's spot welding it, right? So they're kind of doing you a favor by spot welding it to the back of your eye. In the meantime, all these crazy visual disturbances drive you crazy, right? So I just want to say that again. Anyways, about about this whole thing. So, th so there's my story. There's these people about laser eye procedures. And then, like you said, your program is much broader than that, obviously. Anybody who's, who's up against. Uh, and in Canada, now you've had, I wanted to talk a bit about the CMPA or the Canadian Medical Pre Protective Association. So, and this isn't, isn't a USA or, you know, world. it's apparently it's the only system like it in the world on the G7 countries. Um, it, it also apparently, the numbers of, of injuries in Canada is much higher than other G7 countries. You do need to be afraid if you have a medical procedure done in Canada because it is almost impossible to sue a doctor in Canada. Almost virtually impossible. Um, so, you know, and the thing is, what's important, I think, for people, if you're going to do any procedure that's kind of not emergency, that you really need to understand the risks. And, you know, often you go, well, like I said, I, you know, I did, I researched a little bit. What are the risks of, you know, laser, you know, retinal laser? I was Googling it before the procedure was done. Well, guess what? It was all right in front of me. It was in, it was in the legal disclaimer that they're getting you to sign. Any procedure will have them listed out there, right? So a lawyer told me once, it's not on that form unless it's happened to a lot of people. That's when they start putting it on the forms. They keep adding it. Like cornea neuralgia now is added to a laser procedure. It's been added because it's a, it's a known problem now, right? So make sure you go over every item and get what's called informed consent which is you understanding every risk. Uh, but anyways, at a high level, like what happens in Canada is each, this is important because many people didn't know this, including myself. Mm -hmm. Each provincial healthcare agency, which is taxpayer funded, pays the malpractice insurance to the CMPA, which is a national entity, not-for-profit, from the tax dollars. So they're paying all these, all these uh, malpractice insurance premiums to the CMPA with tax dollars. No matter how many complaints or lawsuits are lodged against a doctor, those premiums keep getting paid. It's not like if you have a car accident and you, all of a sudden your, your premium goes up and you, or you can't get insurance anymore. No, it's not like that. They just keep paying the premium. It doesn't go up. It keeps getting paid by the tax dollars. So if you get injured by a doctor and this happened to me, they said, well, you know, people go, you should sue that guy. And, and you go, yeah, you know, I should sue him. That's right. It's, what happened to me was wrong, which it was. But you know, and but then guess what? 
one of your biggest first challenges is trying to find a lawyer. It's hard because, and why is that? Because the CMPA has $5 billion of taxpayer dollars sitting in a bank account. And the CMPA has gone out and hired almost every major law firm in Canada. So you call up almost any law firm in Canada and say about a medical malpractice thing that I want to talk to you about, they go, sorry, it's a conflict of interest. Why? Because CMPA is one of the clients. They can't represent both sides, right? So then you realize you've got like, you know, in some cities, big cities, even over a million people, you might only have two or three medical malpractice lawyers that operate, right? So that's the first thing you, you fight, you, you're up against is just trying to find a lawyer. And then, and then of course, lawyers are, they're running a business too, right? And they only want to take your job or your case if they think they can make money off of it as well, right? So first off, they, got to, they want to make sure they can win the case. So it's probably got to be really horrific. Like, you know, my eyeballs probably have to be taken out and handed to me. Um, and then, uh, you know, another thing too is that they want to make sure that you're making a lot of money because a lot of the award in a court case is for future lost earnings because the CMPA has, have lobbied, and this entity has been around since 1901. They lobbied back in the day that you'd have to cap pain and suffering toward law awards to a certain amount. So it's a fairly small amount. There's no, you can't be awarded more than that. So most of the award that you get is from lost future earnings or care, right? That you have to, you gotta, can't walk, you know. Anyway, so that's, that's why it's important. But if you do, if you do find a lawyer, and it's sort of in conjunction with that is trying to find an expert witness to be on your legal team. So that's hard too, because trying to find a doctor in a specific field to testify against another doctor in that same field, they likely know each other. <laughs> um, they probably go to the same conferences, right? So it's, um, you know, that's very difficult. And without an expert witness, you have a very difficult time. And and if the, and is even if you can get a lawyer and get an expert witness and you go to court, the CMPA basically says, here's a blank check to the law firm. Hire whoever you want. So if you hire one expert, they'll hire five or ten. Doesn't matter because because why? Because they know that if you win, well it's good for you, but if you lose, you'd only have to pay your out-of-pocket costs and legal fees, but you have to pay theirs back as well, including all their expert witnesses, right? So if you lose, you pay expert witness fees, airfare, meals, lodging, consulting fees, their lawyer fees, it'll bankrupt you basically. So if you lose, it'll bankrupt you. And, and this rule was also put in place by the CMPA. This, this, I call it triple jeopardy. And why do I call it triple jeopardy? Because your taxpayers, dollars are going to the provincial government to well, goes federal and goes back to provincial governments and then it goes back to cmpa to pay so you're paying for the cmpa's premium the malpractice premiums first off to fund the lawyers then you have to pay for your own legal costs and if you lose you ought to pay theirs again so you're paying three times if you lose and um is it and then and then can you imagine why it's surprising that only in you know that only 60 cases per year go to court in canada and of those 60 cases, like for example, last in 2018, only eight people won their cases. It was 14 in 2017, nine 
2016, only four in 2015. And so basically, if you make it to court, your chances of winning are so low. And, you know, it's, and so it's basically, it makes it virtually impossible. I mean, when you're talking eight people winning a court case per year, that's statistically zero. That you're, that's as close to statistically zero as you can get, right? Um, so anyways, in conclusion, I just want to say that, you know, you don't want a doctor error to happen to you. And I know, you know, you got to live and you've got to have a certain level of trust. We need doctors. We interact with them all the time and they help us. And I don't want to paint all ophthalmologists and all doctors bad, but all I'm saying is that if you get a procedure done, any procedure, really understand the risks. If it's not an, you know, if it's not an emergency, understand the risks and, I, and, and avoid elective procedures, you know, avoid them. Mine wasn't elective, mine was a medical procedure, but I still, uh, you know, I'm suffering. And, and again, I really, I'm at a point where there's not a lot I can do about it at this point from a legality perspective, which is why I wanted to come on your program. So thank you for hosting me and uh, to, you know, allow people to, you know, maybe learn from my experience a bit and possibly avoid this, what happened to me. Uh, that's why it's like, eyes are everything. They're so important. Do everything you can to protect them. And don't risk them in an elective procedure. That's my message. Yeah, well, this has been very edifying, I must say, because I've worn contacts for decades and it's crossed my mind a few times. Oh, I should just go get that LASIK surgery done and, you know, never have to worry about these contacts again. But about 10 minutes into listening to what your story and what you, the facts that you've, you know, shared, uh, I had decided that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get any laser surgery done on my eyes. The risk is just too, it's too great. Okay. So now you've heard Troy's experience with laser eye surgery and what Troy has learned about the laser eye surgery industry. Is this a procedure you would still consider having? He asks rhetorically. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error or living with chronic complex illness, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.